What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Smalley Talk Podcast. This is your host, Chris Vaughn, uh, on the line with my little brother. Hello, Jeremiah. Hello, brother. <laughs> uh, little J- Joshy Poo's got a little, little family stuff going on uh, tonight, so unfortunately he couldn't jump on the podcast. He had originally planned to, but uh, you know how that goes, man. Just we're family men, so... You know priorities and all that. Yeah. Also, also known, also known as yes, that. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, we we do have a, a guest on the podcast tonight, uh, Brandon Bales, uh, who's a very good fly tire. Um, you know, I'm excited to talk to you later. He's a, a smallmouth guy from Northern Alabama, uh, but you know, we thought we'd jump on a little early, little chat. Uh, I, we were having some technical difficulties and I don't know, this is, this is really weird, but like, uh, I, I just went to YouTube and like clicked the very top like video or whatever to like test my earphones or my headphones. And it, it gave me like, what's that? What video was it? Well, I don't even want to say it, but <laughs> it was, uh, it's pretty heinous. It was. SpongeBob just saying like bad words. SpongeBob cursing. Yeah. I'm like, what what kind of you can go through a deep hole looking at SpongeBob cursing. It's uh <laughs> I'm like, what, what is my that? algorithm? <laughs> it's a very broad very broad algorithm, I'll tell you that. My algorithm is completely boned, dude. <laughs> and and I also took some I'll just, I, I mean, the way I'm prepared for these episodes, I am a, literally a top-notch professional. I mean, the things that I've got written down for topics, broadly, Mountain Dew, mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet. Okay. That's just a couple. And then I was going to also, later <laughs> later on in the podcast, I was also planning to read the lyrics for Billie Eilish. So, Ooh. stick around, folks. New stuff or old stuff? Uh, bad guy, because I was reading them to Ashley earlier, and she couldn't, literally, could not believe that those were the lyrics. But, uh, but before we get started on all that really heavy fishing content, I wanted to. Uh, we did get a good review recently, so I wanted to to kind of read that up front here. Uh, by the way, leave us a five star review, dude, uh, and also. You sons of bitches, send us a beer for our beer reviews because we have not gotten a beer in months. We're just crushing Millers. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm well, I got a Stella over here, so I'm doing all right. So this is uh the podcast is from Mid Dart, or the uh, reviews from Mid Dart. This podcast made me a wet boy. I returned to fishing some thirty five years after I last went as a kid. I went with my son a few times and realized that all of our local ponds have only dinky largemouth and that I sucked at fishing on bigger water. I turned to podcasts to learn more and I quickly became frustrated by the bass industry's emphasis on electronics and expensive gear where everything feels like a sales pitch for one more lure. Then I discovered these guys. Chris and Josh are the real 
are just real, and they also crack me up. They have no agenda other than simple enjoyment of smallmouth fishing. I began listening to every episode, and I started exploring our local rivers. Turns out our rivers and creeks are far more beautiful than our ponds and lakes. Today was my first true wet wade, and because of this podcast, I felt like I had a sense of what sort of water to look for and where to cast. I got a nice head on my fluke, but no fish, so I can't officially call myself a wet boy yet. If you guys keep making episodes, I'll keep listening and trying for my first smallmouth. So, yeah, yeah, dude, a couple, couple of good ones. Uh, also the one before that was from a, a friend of mine from college. Hey, Chris, are you ever going to get my zonker jigs tied up for me? Five star review. Mm. <laughs> What's, up? <laughs> What's up, Michael? Very patient man. Well, he dropped off. He dropped off about 500 jig heads for me like six months ago. I was like, dude, I will definitely get right to tying these zonkers. <laughs> Have not tied a single one. So I'm so I mean, sorry, Michael. To be honest, 500 uh, jig heads is <laughs> it's a steep order. It was steep. Yeah, it was steep. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I, I, pay, I charge by the jig. He doesn't know this yet, but I will be invoicing <laughs> him several, several hundred dollars for my very fine jig time, you're, pay, so. you're paid by the minute right i am paid by the minute yeah and if you think that you get oh i get paid by the hour like my time is valuable start start requesting payment by the minute that's <laughs> your time is worth more than hourly pay i can tell you that right now that's all right dude uh but like i said dude josh josh can't be on tonight i i did want since he's not here to defend himself I think it's only fair that we address the elephante in the room. Tell me. Um, it, it's not a popular thing. I don't really want to talk about this, uh, but I feel like I need to. And <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of questions addressed specifically to me about Josh's company, Achigan. And I got to say, uh, I love Josh. He's a good guy. You know, whatever. I mean, I know him. I'll just say I know him. I'm not going to vouch for him. But yes, was it was it um thoughtless and tone deaf for him to have a uh to essentially come out you know with a very questionable sales event the day after Thanksgiving. Yes, that was questionable. <laughs> I can't defend his conduct. Um you know the fact that he thinks it's okay to have a bronze Friday on what's clearly a black holiday. I, I just won't, <laughs> I won't go. I won't go for it. It's disgusting to me, but if you want to support his business, you know, by all means you go for it. You feel comfortable with that. I wouldn't hit that. I wouldn't hit that pay button. You know what I mean? I can't support <laughs> that. I, I'm with you, dude. I, I mean, that's what the people are talking about. I'm just, I'm just sort of relaying what the people are up to and what they're talking about. But, you know, uh, that's so anyways, but yeah, good for him. It looks like they're moving a lot of merch, uh, and, uh, doing good, doing good things. But yeah, he did have, he did have some family issues tonight, so won't be here. The, uh, the last, the last time I hit the water, um, the last words Josh said to me was just make sure my shirt's in the pictures. And (laughs) I, I feel used. I feel, I just feel violated 
that I can't even go in the water now without wearing a piece of Ashigan clothing. It's well, yeah, it's disgusting. Basically, I mean, it's very commercialized. You know, I'm, I'm not, not getting about paid. That. I mean, I, I'm not getting paid. <laughs> oh, you're not getting paid? <laughs> no. no. I mean, I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm modeling the uh the spring collection right now which is just Easy. uh yeah it's like mid-drift showing fishnet jerseys <laughs> uh, spaghetti strap of course that's why i'm but he's paying me handsomely very handsomely in fact to, to in, use my body for that but in, in money you're getting paid in money no stickers mostly <laughs> Josh's form of currency. <laughs> that's Fisher. That's fisherman currency, dude. That's online influencer currency. Uh, but yeah. So one other thing that you know, I thought maybe I would talk about since Josh isn't here. But uh, there's a running gag on the podcast about uh, how we have tens of listeners. You know, tens and tens of listeners. Well, we did the diagnostics and. Uh, turns out we have a really popular podcast actually. So I wanted to just formally apologize to the many thousands of people that listen to this podcast. I honest to God thought that we were doing this and basically avoid. <laughs> turns out, you know, like, you know, six, uh, more than six figures or well, five figures plus that listen to our podcast and, um, you know, I don't know. I feel stupid for a lot of the things I've said to, to 10,000 plus people, but Hey, dude, <laughs> don't, don't get dancey. Don't dance around things. You got a head on approach. Don't, don't get yeah. dancey on me. You know what I mean? I'm, hey, I'm, speaking, I'm... speaking of which, while we still only have 10 thousands of listeners before it gets way too big and out of control. I want to say yeah. this, the sticker on the back of your boat, I have to confess, I, I ripped it off in Louisiana because I didn't want them old boys down there to see that sticker. You ripped off my, I love gay porn sticker. Yeah, dude, I couldn't see that. I couldn't let those Louisiana boys see that. Oh my God. Gosh, I can't believe I feel betrayed right now. You're like, it was hanging on. It was hanging on by a thread, but I just finished the job. So, oh my gosh, dude! I know, dude. I I couldn't couldn't do it. I that's my confession from the trip. You're my Jacob. You're the Jacob to my Esau, dude. The Cain to my Abel. (laughs) That's for that's for all you Bible thumpers out there. All. All you, all you, all my homeboys that were paying attention in Sunday school. What's up? Uh, so one other thing I want to talk about. So did you see the video or the, the, um, picture that I posted on, uh, our Instagram today from the Madison river? Did you see that? I didn't. Dude, I don't know, man. We're, so Jeremiah and I actually have a plan this summer to go out and do, uh, like a week long trip in the Yellowstone area. And more specifically, we had a plan to float the Madison for a few days. Uh, they have like crazy, situ- a crazy damn situation going on up there right now. They're like, the river is like basically a trickle. I mean, you know, right now is spawning season for trout and there was a gate malfunction at one of the dams there. And 
essentially the riverbed is completely dry, at least on all the side channels. Um, so they're talking, they don't know how, I mean, I've seen some pictures of the kill already. It's going to be pretty, pretty severe, but you know, if you're up in the Montana area and you happen to, you know, listen to the smallmouth podcast, uh, you know, get, get your butt out there with a five gallon bucket and rescue some of our little fishy friends. <laughs> yeah. Do your part. Do your part, dude. And also get va- Also get vaccinated. All right. <laughs> we're, just throwing, we're just throwing out stop pe- stop pebble mine <laughs> just throw a bunch of stuff <laughs> also kyoto sign it sign it biden where are you at with that kyoto protocol all right pipe pipeline 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 keystone thank you for canceling that all right, so uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, we also I wanted to uh, our next guest, I think. So we're Josh and I are actually, believe it or not, even though he's completely bitch boned out on me for this episode, um, we are planning to have uh, we're going to do this podcast weekly for the winter. I think that's the plan, anyways. Um, and our next guest is actually one I'm really excited about. Uh, and I think I see Brandon trying to get into the room right now. Uh, but the next guest that we're going to have on is one of the engineers that was responsible for uh, helping remove the dam on Sugar Creek. So uh, we had a, a dam, a low overhead dam uh, on Sugar Creek for many decades. Uh, it got ripped out this year. So um, I think we were, you know, we're going to plan on having that guy on to kind of talk about the removal project. And, and I don't know why I said he's an engineer. He's actually a biologist. So should be able to kind of help uh, talk us through what that should look like. You know, the, uh, the negatives, the positives, and hopefully more positives than negatives. But I think we're going to try and have him on in the next week or so to talk about that. So I'm a little curious about it. You know, it's, uh, it's been there for a long time. So obviously I've never fished uh, that particular section of river when it was completely free flowing. So, yeah, very yep. interesting. Yep. Uh, let me see if I can get Brandon in here. Cause what did you have to do to, uh, well, hold on. We'll just pause the recording real quick. All right, everybody, we're back. Uh, we have our guest in, uh, after, you know, only some very basic struggles with technology. So, uh, so on the line here, uh, still my brother Jeremiah, and then Brandon Bales. Uh, what's up, Brandon? How's it going, guys? It's going. It's good. Uh, so, so we found Brandon through Instagram. Uh, he's you probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already follow him. Uh, but his Instagram handle is Panther underscore Branch underscore Bugs. Uh, he is easily, uh, the best warm water fly tire in the game right now, in my opinion. Uh, well, I don't know about and, uh, I know you, w- I knew you wouldn't like that, but it's, <laughs> abs- it's my opinion for sure. Uh, and I just wanted to have you on the podcast because I think what you're doing right now is, is really, really fascinating. It's good stuff. And also I saw you post, uh, you know, a little link about nymphing for a smallmouth, which I think will be of particular interest to our, our fly guys. So yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. and Hopefully I can share something that 
people haven't heard before. <laughs> sure. And, and I did notice that you're wearing an Ashigan shirt, which Jeremiah and I discussed uh, before oh, you yeah. got on. Uh, I, I didn't know. Did you have any thoughts about Josh's, Josh's very tone deaf choice to, to uh, have a, a bronze holiday on what has historically been a, a Black Friday, Black Friday? Uh, I think it's very tone deaf. And, and in all honesty, um, I didn't uh, go grab this shirt. I actually wore this to work today. And oh, if nice. you can see, I've got my buddy. I actually wore Yeah. This wasn't like a costume I put on. This is this is uh, how I'm to work today. So so you've got this, uh, this you know, I'm from North Alabama, so you've got this, you know, obviously there's an accent difference between <laughs> between us. You've got this uh, backwoods uh, hillbilly that works at NASA and comes to work wearing smallmouth gear. So, <laughs> so yeah, nice. this, this wasn't a costume for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you what, well now i mean i have to ask i mean what do you do at nasa if you can tell us um yeah i can tell uh it's so the team i work for is called the space environmental effects team that's just a fancy way of saying customers come to us and they say hey in the near future i want to for instance i want to stick this solar panel out in space can you make up an environment to mimic what will happen outer space to our equipment? And we shoot their product with radiation, with heat, with cold. We basically destroy it and see how long it takes and what all it takes to destroy it. So it's something new all the time. Um, it's uh, and I'm I'm the hands-on guy. I'm a, a technician, so I do the fabricating the running of the test uh whatever engineers and scientists need done i just do what they need well that's gotcha. the coolest thing that's gonna be on this podcast so we'll uh, talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> so have you I mean, this is the question i, I think all of the listeners are, are asking have you put any of your fishing gear through this <laughs> through these tests um I, I haven't, but I'll be honest with you. Um, we use UV uh, radiation a lot, and there's been radiation or UV tests going on, and I've used it to uh, maybe bake some flies and some UV resin to make sure they cure fully <laughs> if the sun's not out. Now, I will, I will admit that, uh, but uh, but no, nothing else has gone through the, through the test. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, dude. That's a that's a service that you could provide that nobody else could. Oh, you yeah, could, yeah. I mean, it, it could something could come from that for sure. <laughs> call G, call G Loomis up. Say, hey, what's up? Send me yeah. about send me about fifty of those new rods, and let's yeah. get this thing going. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long have you been fly, uh, tying flies? Uh, on and off um, for probably fifteen, sixteen years. Um, pretty, pretty much hardcore. I would say the last 10 years, um, it's been, uh, I went through the whole thing, which I think a lot of people do when I was younger, went through the phase of, you know, I thought it was only a trout game. And, uh, I'm, even though I'm in Alabama, I'm only 10, about 10 to 15 minutes from the Tennessee line. But I still had roughly an hour and 15 minute drive to get to a tailwater. Um, so, you know, I started out with trout bugs and things like that. But uh, 
you know, you have kids and you can't get away as much. And I had all these creeks and stream, warm water streams within minutes of my house. And that's when I really got into the, uh, the warm water thing. I mean, it was always there, but when I really started to pursue it was probably 10 years ago time, just pretty much exclusively warm water patterns and developing them. Cool. Um, hey, Brandon, could you could you turn down your computer volume just a little bit? Maya, are you getting a feedback in your in your earphones? Just a little bit, not too bad. Yeah. Is yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. The, uh, hope we can. We'll we'll just keep that in there because you know the people want to see you know how the how the uh, sausage is made. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in Alabama, I mean. Do you guys have native smallmouth like in the in the rivers near you or, or what? Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, it's not really most guys that know where the smallmouth streams are in North Alabama. It's pretty tight lipped um, there. You know, of course, there have been some videos out there of guys, you know, fishing in North Alabama, but um You'll never, it's really, you're hard pressed to get a name of a creek or a stream out of anyone that, uh, that knows, because that's sort of the, you know, there's guys that come from all over. I actually have a buddy that lives in the Gulf and Gulf Shores, and he drives up just to fish for smallmouth, um, up here. And, and I'm so, I'm so close again, I'm right on that. I'm right on the Alabama, Tennessee line. So, I mean, I've, there's a lot of creeks I fish, and at some point I actually wade over into Tennessee waters just because that's how close I am to that state line. Um, gotcha. But there's definitely, you know, you've got Pickwick Lake. You know, that's a big lake that's uh, it's west of me. Um, you know, it historically holds some huge smallmouth. Um, that lake's changed a lot over the years, but then, but again, you've got all those tributaries feeding into that that lake so you know guys that do the footwork and uh and follow those creeks that's usually you know they'll they'll find their their honey hole and you never hear any more about where they where they go fishing right. yeah I, I think that there's some uh like the blue line guys are they are they down near you or are they but uh they are they're they're from this area um yeah, I know they've done some videos. Um, I, I'm pretty sure same thing. They were probably Alabama, Tennessee, right on that that line. So yeah, and understandable on the uh, keeping it hush hush. We're kind of the same way here. I mean, we've got, of course, we've put out probably more than we should have, but uh, <laughs> you know, we've probably got like six or seven really solid smallmouth rivers and creeks, and the rest of them are pretty much garbage. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but uh, and then Pickwick, yeah. The, I mean, didn't they have like the Bassmaster Classic or something like that oh, yeah. this year? Yeah. I mean, it's a big smallmouth fishery, right? Oh, yeah, it's it's a big place, and it and you know you go there now. Looking, you can look back and see what that lake used to look like. To today, at least to me, it doesn't even look like it would be. It looks like Lake Gunnersville to me. It's just a big, like a largemouth. I think largemouth and spotted bass when I go there. I definitely don't think of a uh, smallmouth. But again, there's, because there's so much vegetation now um, All right. in that lake. So, but yeah, there's a lot of big smallmouth still there. 
Yeah. And do you primarily fish like on foot or do you have uh kayak, I mean, raft, drift boat? What do you? I'm, I would say I'm 95% on foot. I've got a, I use a, uh, it's a new canoe, uh, the Frontier 12 kayak I have. Yeah. I mean, I fish out of it, but honestly, I just use it to get from point A to point B whenever I'm on some of these waters that, you know, that I can't wade or necessarily get around because of big bluffs and whatnot. Um, yeah, but uh, but like I said, 95% of the time I'm, I'm on foot and they're probably compared to a lot of places. These, these creeks that I fish out of are pretty small. I mean, they're, you know, one of my favorite ones Gosh, I would say at the widest point before it enters uh, any bigger river system is maybe twenty feet wide. Oh wow, jeez. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, geez, that is. That's I super mean, I could, I, could show you, I could show you a picture and you would say, "Oh, there's probably brook trout there," because it looks. I mean, it's nothing but some boulders and this tiny water. It's pocket water, and you um, and these big fish at certain times of the year will uh will hold up in there and it's it's pretty unique if you ask me it's i've never encountered something like that anywhere else yeah we've got a little bit of that here i mean uh it's kind of surprising i mean you will run across those 19 20 inch fish in those you know less than two cubic feet per second flows you know you'll hit them Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like, what the heck is this thing doing in here? What could it possibly even be living off of to get uh, this big in uh-huh. this little tiny Creek? And then you look around and they're about 8,000 crawfish, you know, shooting around everywhere. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty awesome. But I mean, it looks like some of your pictures look like they're on a little bit bigger water, right? I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some, uh, some bigger waters, um, that I fish. None, none of them are considered rivers that I fish. They're all named creeks, but, um, yeah, there's definitely, um, bigger ones and, uh, and we've got all different types. I mean, I've started fishing a lot more in Tennessee over the past few years, just because, um, gosh, development around here, the way things are booming. I mean, I'm sure it's it's that way where you're at, but I mean, man, there's so much growth uh, industry wise here that I'm sort of worried about some of the, some of the creeks that I fish because I see what's popping up all around them. Yeah. 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 I mean, a small, a small Creek like that is definitely a little bit more, uh, can be a little bit more easily influenced, you know, by environmental concerns or uh, residential areas or whatever. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. they're pretty fragile ecosystems. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely get that, but, uh, have you ever done any like out of state trips or has it been all kind of down in Alabama for the, in, in Tennessee for the smallmouth thing? Um, I, I do fish for smallmouth. Uh, I used to fish quite a bit in North Carolina. Um, okay. there's actually my wife's grandparents, they had a cabin up there and, uh, again, I was, there's trout water all around, but I would hit up, uh, you know, a river that downstream of, I think it was a delayed harvest, but downstream, man, it was full of smallmouth and nobody ever touched them. I mean, it was like, and granted they, the, I never encountered any big smallmouth there, but I mean, I remember this one day in particular, I went out right at daylight. It was early summer and, uh, 
ended up catching 43 smallmouth. <laughs> I would say, I would say the biggest was probably 15, 16 inches. But do you think, I mean, 43 smallmouth and by lunchtime, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a good day. <laughs> yeah. Solid, yeah. solid. And I, some of the pictures, I mean, I think, uh, especially a lot of us, I mean, we're kind of like right in the middle of the range. You know, you've got the the West Virginia guys, you know, which are very proud of of the fisheries that they've got. And then you've got the guys up in New York, which are very proud of theirs. And then you've got the guys in Minnesota and Wisconsin, which I've experienced. And yeah, I've experienced in all their glory. I've, I've done the New River, Jeremiah, and I've done the New River, the James. Okay. But I just don't think we hit it right, you know, but... But we've done the the northern rivers, you know. We've we've seen what that's all about. It's amazing. I think that there's a little bit of a stigma attached to, you know, so, like southern smallmouth, you know, especially like the Alabama, the Georgia, you know, the South Carolina smallmouth situation. But I've seen some of the pictures that you've posted. I mean, those are you guys have some pretty pretty big smallmouth, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a 20, 20 and a half was it that you posted? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, yeah at the very end of the season. I mean, there was a uh, yeah, there's a lot of older fish that I've come across in a lot of these creeks, and yeah, exactly what you were saying. Um, you don't well, I think now, it seems that now nowadays um, Alabama is growing more. The fly fishing community is growing more, and it's more centered around. Um, central and southern Alabama where you have the red eye bass, not rock bass, but the actual red eye. <laughs> We've got the Coosa, the warrior. There's several subspecies. That I think the smallmouth is even foreshadowed, you know, in the shadow of those fish. And I mean, they're they're the closest red eyes are about an hour and a half from me. They're great to okay. fish for. If if I was um if I lived in the area, that's probably all I would fish for too, because it's you're basically combining brook trout fishing with smallmouth. You know, you've got the they don't get big, but man, they're so beautiful and they live in some really pretty places. Um, but then I've had I've had guys that come up and all they fish for is red eye, and they catch their first smallmouth and they're like, man, I would never fish for anything else. I'm like. Yeah, now you see why I never travel travel very far. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's, it's probably tough to drive an hour and a half to catch a fish that's ten inches long, and you know, yeah. just for the scenery, I guess. Then when you can go catch a twenty-inch smallmouth, you know. Yeah, I mean, literally. Yeah, I mean, literally, I can be on a smallmouth creek, and I've timed it for right at twelve minutes you know, from my front door. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's That's a no Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had Dr. Uh, Brad Sammons on our podcast a while back. Who's, mm-hmm. uh, he's a researcher at Auburn, I think, uh, down mm-hmm. there. And he was kind of giving us the, giving us the rundown on the, on the, uh, red eye situation and then kind of the Alabama bass, uh, situation you know the invasive species stuff. Oh, yeah. it was pretty it was pretty interesting uh but uh anyways i mean so what's your biggest smallmouth down there uh it's been several years but i caught one and it and all my big fish always come 
for whatever reason, uh, March, second to third week of March, I always end up with the biggest one. And I caught a, uh, a big one a couple years ago that was 21, 21. Emergency, I was like 21 and a quarter. So, oh, wow. I mean, yeah. So after that, I was like, I'm probably not going to fish anymore this season. Of course, that was a lot. <laughs> I keep going, you know. Um, but, yeah, but you, uh, you probably took at least one day off at least, oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah, it was, it was one of those things is I was like, I wonder if I'm ruined after this, but no, I, I wasn't. <laughs> you just keep going. Back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You definitely, uh, especially if you were, if you caught it in one of those, you know, two cubic feet per second flows, it probably felt like a, a lightning rod. You know, that's uh, that's small water, a lot of, a lot of ways for that bass to come off. So, oh yeah, that's, um, that's, the, that's one of the biggest challenges that people don't think of in smaller water. Um, and, uh, just a side note to that, this, this year I made it a point to, um, I'm notorious about just carrying a six weight. I've got like a whole arsenal of six weights because that's, you know, that's, this smaller water, it's like, well, that's that's what I'm going to carry. Well, this year, after I caught the really big, uh, in it was in March, I caught a really fat 20-inch fish. And, man, the the it, it had rained a lot. So the current was up, uh, which was really a lot for this smaller water. And when I hooked into that fish, combined with the current, I for whatever reason, I carried my seven weight that day. And I told a buddy of mine, I said, I know for a fact I would not have landed that fish on a six weight. I just, with the seven weight, I couldn't, at first, it was one of those things I thought I was hung on a boulder. So I just reefed into the rod, you know, going to try to pop the fly. And then it went downstream. So then I was like, oh, (laughs) this is a whole different animal like right here. I mean, it was... uh, so yeah, from that point on, um, well, I carried my six weight some, but yeah, this year was all about the seven weight just because I had a few, you know, I had that happen. And, uh, even with, you know, days where it was windy and I wanted to throw, um, you know, throw a lot of bigger terrestrials in these smaller waters and, uh, sometimes I need a longer leader and, just helped out. It was a lot easier with that seven weight. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, I mean, if you're fishing these small flows, are you fishing with a short rod or are you still kind of going with a nine foot? No. Um, uh, so first off, the only, the only rods I own are fiberglass. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fiberglass junkie. Um, uh, okay. New- yeah. so, I saw like every picture was fiberglass yeah yeah so i don't even heck even my musky rod is uh is a yeah it's a 10 weight glass rod um but i've got a buddy uh well actually i've got a really good friend that rolls his own blanks or on tapers in pennsylvania and then a buddy in north carolina chris barclay that uh builds some awesome rods and uh it's me and him have been friends a long time, but he fishes brook trout mainly, but he fishes, you know, tiny water. So all of his mm-hmm. rods sort of mimic that. So like my seven weight 
the seven weight I have from him is called the jackpot because it's a seven foot, seven inch, seven weight. And, oh, okay. Um, nice. Yeah. And then my main six weight um, is eight foot. So, I mean, okay. I'm right around seven and a half to eight foot is what I use. Um, even I was talking about my musky rod. Um, I had him design it because I wanted to fish. I mainly fish for musky out of my kayak. And a really long rod was just cumbersome. So he had Mike, the guy in Pennsylvania, he rolled up a, it's an odd number, seven foot, 10 inch, 10 weight. And I mean, Hmm. and it's that weird length because we did the extended fighting, butt. you can rest up against your forearm. Um, Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of a, and that helps too with glass because it's notoriously heavier than uh, graphite. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, my two smallmouth rods, I mean, the main ones, one's just under eight foot and one's right at eight foot long. Yeah, that probably helps a little bit. I mean, those are shorter. I think traditionally most most guys that are smallmouth fishing are going with that, you know, six, seven, eight weight, nine foot rod. But if you're, you know, you got low overhead branches, you're in a tight little, you know, stream or whatever. Yeah, having that seven foot, seven inch, seven weight probably helps a little bit for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, It's easy to remember too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So a little bit about your, about your fly tying. So you said you've been doing it seriously for like 10 years. Do you Mm -hmm. do, do you tie like commercially? Do people buy your flies or are you just doing it for yourself? Um, so people, I, I, I've definitely slowed down. Um, I, I did tie orders quite a bit. I still do on occasion. The point now is it's, I always go through this burnout phase. It seems at the end of every summer um, when I've been tying nothing but deer hair, bass bugs all summer for guys, I just get burned out. And usually around Christmas, like I just did a couple orders this week for buddies of mine. Um, You know, I'll tie some here and there, but I have, I have two patterns that Orvis carries. I think Fulling Mill, yeah, Fulling Mills ties those uh, my patterns for Orvis, and uh, they sell them. It's nice. I don't ever have to tie single flies. You know, you give them the the rights to it, and they tie them up and send you a royalty check every so often. So, Whoa, that's pretty sweet. That's kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Which well, uh, what which two flies are yours at Orvis? Uh, so the first one is the I'm trying to remember how the, they named it. It's the Bales. I think it's a Panther branch. They said Panther Creek Hopper. It's just a big terrestrial uh, grasshopper. I mean, it could be a lot of different things, but it re- represents a grasshopper. Um, and then the other one is called the Bales Out Minnow, and it's a bigger unweighted bait fish. It comes in like a shad color, um, bluegill. Oh yeah, that's, that's yellow nasty looking. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and I designed both of those on two different smallmouth streams. One, so the hopper was developed on a stream one of these really small streams I was talking about um, where if you throw a popper or anything with weight that smacks the water, you just see wakes leaving the area. You know, there's smallmouth leaving everywhere. So it was more of a, I've got a 
fish more like I'm trout fishing. Um, and then the minnow was developed, or I came up with it because I needed something a little bit bigger water, but I didn't want to use a sink tip or an intermediate line. And that rabbit absorbs enough water that it gets underneath. And the way the head's yeah. designed, it cuts side to side. So it, it was developed, um, you know, for, again, a little bit smaller water, but not enough, not big enough to warrant, you know, heavier flies or, or sinking lines. Yeah, the hopper, I bet you probably sell, they probably sell a lot of the hopper, right? I mean, oh, it, yeah. could be, it could be fish for anything. I mean, it could mm-hmm. be fish for panfish, trout, you know, the terrestrial thing is becoming kind of more popular in the smallmouth yeah. world. I mean, yeah. you're probably seeing the videos and pictures of like the Mr. Wiggly and, you oh, know, yeah. uh, I know Chad Miller's a big, hot, big terrestrial guy here in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I mean, we fish them, mm-hmm. you know, it's becoming you probably sell a bunch of those. That's pretty cool, man. It's really yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's, that's probably, um, that's probably my favorite, uh, way to fish or that's my favorite part of the season is when we get the, um, it's almost like you're, it's, it's hunting in a way. I mean, you're going to have to throw a longer leader, longer line. You got to watch and not spook fish. I mean, water's low and clear most time when you're doing this, um, yep. I don't know. It's just, it's a really cool way to fish. And uh, I've definitely so how- followed Chad Miller and those guys. Yeah. Chad's, Chad's a real pro, especially, I mean, his specialty is kind of the, the terrestrial thing, but mm-hmm. how, how does it work when you like, how did Orvis, uh, I mean, did they just see your fly one day and just message you and ask you, you know, about, about doing it? Is it something that you pitch to them? How does that, how does that work? Yeah, they have, um, which I think they've changed the the way they do it now. But I, I had a, a a mutual friend that at one time he he worked at, at Orvis in the I don't he wasn't just in the fly tying department or the flies materials whatever, but he uh, he was sort of in charge of all that. And at the time. Um, he had seen some of my flies and we had talked back and forth. He said, Hey, you should submit them. So there was actually, um, I believe it was still online. It was online at the time. It was pretty simple. You go in, fill out some information, and then you would send in, I think half a dozen of each pattern and you would break down the tying instructions and the material list and you know if it you know it has to meet a couple things it's got to be cheap enough for them to make um the material's got to be readily available like i had to swap out uh i had to swap out the head material on my minnow which ended up being a good thing um to something that they use which was laser dub uh so they just go through and they see if it'll make them money if there's a market there um, and I can remember at the time, whenever I submitted, Hey, or he told me, said, Hey, we, whatever you do, I know you're a warm water guy. Please don't send any crawfish patterns. He said that they, <laughs> that was all they would receive is warm water guys. First thing they send in is a crawfish pattern. And uh, I said, okay, well, well, I've got this minnow and I've got this terrestrial. So and they picked it up from there. So, and then, and I think they, they keep. So it's been in their catalog for probably four or five years, I want to say. 
Um, and they keep it in the catalog until sales drop below a certain point. I don't know what that is. Or you just call and say, hey, I'm, I don't want this in the catalog anymore, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and then they'll remove it then. But, yeah, I mean, it. I think now it's more of a um, – I was going to submit something uh, two or three years ago, and honestly I didn't because – the patterns they were looking for would just now be coming out. They're like, yeah, we need patterns, but we're, they're going to come out in, uh, 2022. I was like, Oh wow. So I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't pursue it, you know? Yeah. That, and do you have that, like, cause I, oh, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, do you tie that big boy, um, uh, articulated crawl. Is that your um, flyer? Which one? It's the. It's called the Big Boy Crawl. No, I've seen. No, I have seen that one. No, I'm not sure who ties or who came up with that pattern. Okay, I was. I was just wondering if you tied that or not. And I saw the slider. That deer hair slider fly on there. That you oh, tied. Yeah. Man, those uh, things are nasty looking. Oh, yeah. you're like a hair. You're like a hairstylist. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, and I mean, <laughs> and I don't have any hair other than my beard, so I don't know. <laughs> you're you're holding it down, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that's uh, like one of the things I liked about about what you're doing is like uh, there there's a there are a lot of guys that do like the fly tying thing, and they're making things that you absolutely know can't be fished for anything you know yes they look like they can't be casted they can't be fished and they're cool very cool but they definitely are like more of like arts and crafts uh kind of kind of thing and what i like about yours is like uh about your stuff is all of it looks like it can be fished and all of it looks like it would be the best looking thing in your fly box to fish um that's a good that's a great compliment (laughs) Well, well, I mean, like the turtle, even like the baby turtle. I mean, that's probably like on the edge of the <laughs> yeah. stuff that you do, you yeah. know, as far as like yeah. fishability. And I looked at that and I was like, that's a little. And then I looked at it and I was like, actually, that would get absolutely smashed if you put if you put it out there. I mean, it just looks very real. It looks uh, fishy. It looks, you know, so uh, for all the fly guys, if you're aspiring to become a, an excellent fly tire, Go check out this guy's page because he's got that kind of mix of like, uh, I guess a showy looking thing and something that can also be, you know, easily fished. So, um, yeah, I want to ask you how, sorry, we're stepping over each other. How long did it take you to tie those big, um, pan fish for the display flies you tied up? Oh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I mean, those things are humongous. Yeah, they're they're on a I tie them on a um, man. It's like a four X long six alt hook is what I normally use on those. And, <laughs> yeah, and it uses, it uses so so much deer hair. It's, it's, it's the, I mean, after it's all said and done, but so to to stack the hair on and trim the fly about two hours. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a labor of love, definitely. But 
Now that's only to stack the hair and um, shave it down. There's to prep the fins because that's usually like I use a mallard flank. I coat that in UV, you know, shape it and then trim the shape out that I want for each fin. I mean, it's probably, probably four hours worth of work involved in just one. Um, Heck on. Yeah. I that's mean, enough, that's enough where you don't want to lose it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. and, and so I don't, I don't even really tie them unless someone like, Hey, I really want one of these. I'm, and I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, um, with the display and usually I add some, some type of scenery to it. I mean, again, here we were just talking about arts and crafts for men or, you know, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I'll sell them for a couple hundred bucks each. Um, oh, wow. Well, yeah. so, I mean, so, uh, you know, the end, the end goal is, <laughs> is pretty good, but again, I don't really look forward to doing those. Um, and it goes back to what, what you were just saying about fishability, you know, that's really neat. I love, you know, I've always been sort of artistic and been into drawing and all that kind of stuff. My, my grandfather was that way. Um, he was into woodworking. And uh, so I, I always say I, I got that from him because he loved to whittle and carve. And so I just do that except on deer hair, but I would rather it be, whenever I go, whenever I go to tie fly, I, I want to solve a problem or mimic something that I've seen on the water. So, and, and if I'm perfectly, perfectly honest, I'm, I'm a little bit OCD. That's where the neatness comes from. On the, I can tell. You must have to be. Like the, those flies are they're almost too perfect. Like you can tell that you yeah. have you have a little bit of that in you. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been able to divert it to something positive. So, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, but even those even those like show flies that you're talking about because I think you're talking about the pumpkins the the. Uh, the uh, green sunfish or the the longer sunfish. Like a, yeah, I did a. I think I did a. Uh, the last one I did was like a uh, red breast sunfish, and then I did a bluegill. You know, there's a couple that I did. I was gonna say, but they still look like, like I I guess I I gotta have derived that they were show flies because of the the little yeah. ecosystem that you place yeah. them in, but <laughs> they still look like you could that you could definitely fish them like. A hundred percent. If you, if you didn't mind throwing four hours down the drain, you know, you could definitely still fish them. So I think you could. Uh, what's that? I said, I think you could. I, I just, I would wait and I, I would make you, you know, I'd want the money first and then you can go, you can go fish. <laughs> yeah. yeah really. It's like a, the cost of a buck tag to make, make all that deer hair work. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have to kill a deer to get all that hair. <laughs> yeah. That's like a whole, that's a whole white tail skin right there. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, do you take your own, uh, my, you got to stop moving your laptop, dude. It's sending, uh, it's sending, all kinds of noise here, but do you, do you kill your own, do you kill your own deer and tan the, tan the, uh, fur and all that kind of stuff? I do. Um, I I do that. Let's see. I usually don't. Well, so the deer hide itself. I usually, I have a buddy that's a taxidermist. He will throw in 
he he sends all of his uh, hides and skins out to be tanned uh, like a commercial tannery. So I'll, you know, I'll take the full hide to him at some point during the season and uh, he'll send it off with a batch of skins that he's doing, you know, for mounts. Um, usually I, I do all the, the tails myself, the, the deer tails. Uh, as soon as I get one, I go ahead and skin it, uh, clean it, borax it, and I've got a shop that I keep all that in. Same thing with, uh, geez, coyotes, squirrel, <laughs> uh, all that. Okay. I mean, I actually, <laughs> I mean, I just, just this afternoon, I went, uh, went out and I was out of, or I needed more fox squirrel for, believe it or not, of this, uh, Dave Whitlock's fox squirrel nymph that I use a lot for smallmouth. So okay. I was running low and I knew where there was a fox squirrel nest and had to go hunt for one this afternoon. <laughs> Again, this is what you, how dare you? No, I did. I did see that you got some. Uh, you got some nasty feedback on one of your things about posting an animal that you took and you were going to harvest all of the animal to use for you know various purposes. And I thought that oh, was yeah. just, you know, yeah. it's one of those things, man. I, I think it's the coolest thing in the world, personally. You know, mm-hmm. to uh, take an animal, use every bit of it, and you know whatever. But we're just so disconnected from that from that lifestyle now that people find a way to, to be offended about it. So I'm offended. <laughs> all right, yeah. baby buck killer over there. Yeah. Jeremiah took a, Jeremiah just killed a buck a couple days ago. So what are you going to do with your bucktail? His mass was the size of my fingers on his helmet. Oh. You know, it's a, uh, no, uh, the bucktail is going straight to you, uh, Brandon, for sure. That sounds good. You just get a, a just going to go to your mailbox and just open it. There's just a <laughs> Jeremiah doesn't even doesn't treat it with borax or anything. Just sends you a rotting deer, a buck yeah, tail. It's a, a slimy envelope. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Wrapped in some skin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> An ace bandage and some salt on it. It'll yeah. be fine. I'm sure your, your mailman's just going to be reporting you to the ATF or Postmaster General or whoever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's all awesome, and it kind of is a good parlay into the real one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on is uh, so uh, this is something that I've I've read about. We talked about how uh, you know terrestrial fishing for smallmouth is kind of becoming big news. Uh, kind of the thing, the undercurrent or the thing that kind of some people are talking about, some people aren't talking about, some people are saying they would never do it. Uh, but like Dave Whitlock, you know, he published an article about nymphing for smallmouth a few years back. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talked, well, you mentioned it earlier in this podcast, you know, you're tying nymphs for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess just kind of to start off, uh, what kind of nymph rig are we talking about? Um, as far like from the rod up, is that? I mean, you want yeah. The whole let's just up? let's just start start the basics. Uh, I'm assuming just a regular Tinker. traditional bass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm assuming I'm assuming you're just using your regular uh, fiberglass six weight, right? Yeah, for that. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm floating, used... floating line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, um, First, let me say, I'm not, I've never been into the whole nymphing thing for trout. I just, like I said, I don't fish a lot for trout, but uh, I know a lot of those guys use longer rods, you know, where they're doing a lot of tight line nymphing. Um, I still, I still would say I do, I do tight line nymph, but again, it's with my six weight, it's whatever, you know, it's with my smallmouth rod. So normally eight foot six weight floating line um typically there's two different scenarios when i'll use nymphs uh one is they're actually opposite spectrums of each other one when it's low and clear um usually i'll downsize my tippet uh, when i say downsize i usually don't drop much below 10 pounds eight at the absolute most um the trout so, the trout guys are literally vomiting right now <laughs> eight to yeah. ten pounds uh, throwing uh, an anchor I, rope out there <laughs> yeah. and also can i say just just you know as an aside before we go to i'm so glad that josh is not doing this podcast because i can't i can't fathom the comments he would be making about us talking about nymphing for for smallmouth so <laughs> it'd be like what kind of whopper what size whopper plopper is a nymph i don't know so <laughs> how many hooks does it have is that yeah, the size of a fluke is that a is that yeah. a, like a fluke yeah. <laughs> it's like a, that's like a fluke junior right that's not yeah, super yeah. fluke that's fluke so anyway so you're using you're using your six weight floating line uh downsized tippet are you using like a longer leader than i'm assuming yeah usually i'll usually add on um you know a little bit more tippet i'll have i mean anywhere i would say eight to nine foot leader total i mean that's just you know i don't i don't go much longer than that um okay so so i'll do that and I normally don't do two nymphs. I just do one nymph and, and you know, uh, you're talking about Josh, he would have to comment. I don't know. Has, do, do you know if he ever uses those Nico, the helper? Yes, model? It does. So, yep. I mean, that's, well, that and Dave Whitlock is what sort of got me started on this whole nymphing thing. And, uh, early on, and there's a, a buddy of mine, Jake, Vilwalk, uh, have y'all had him on Relentless Fly Fishing? This is guy. No, I haven't. I, I know. I know who he is, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he he recently did an article, and he talked. That's if you talk to Jake. That's he loves. Like he says, trout fishing for smallmouth is is the way he, okay. he talks about it. But but I mean, even though I'm talking about fishing nymphs, they're not. You know these tiny size. 14, 12s. I mean, I think the smallest nymph in my box would be um, those red fox squirrel nymphs, and I think they're on a size six. So, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean you're looking that's at a. Uh, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> and that's, that's the smallest one. Then you go up to, um, you're talking about the other day that I posted something on Instagram, I had the Helgramite. And a big yeah. mayfly yeah. clinger. Uh, that helgramite is roughly, I don't know, a little over two inches. So I mean, it's you know, it's yeah. a yeah. it's a good sized bug. Um, for for trout guys, it's probably, probably one of the bigger, bigger flies in their box, I would guess. 
Yeah. Um, it would be, it would actually, as far as length, it would be equal to like a, uh, one of Kelly Gallup's Zoo Cougar streamers. I mean, it's, it's that yeah. big. Um, so, I mean, even though we're using NIMPs, we're still, we're still using bigger things, but they also, they match bugs that are in the water. I mean, there's tons of Helgramites here. And okay. I honestly sort of consider the smaller crayfish. I sort of group that into nymphing, if you want to call it that, for smallmouth, because, okay. um, you know, I'll, I'll use some downsize uh, crayfish and use them in the same manner, either tight lining them or bouncing off the bottom or just letting them roll in the current. You know, if you've got a riffle into a pool, that's super deadly, at least in my waters, just let it tumble down those ripples and dump off into a pool or a deep run. Um, I mean, fish are just waiting for an easy meal um, in places like yeah. that. So, I mean, uh, when you say tight lining, so you're just kind of fishing those like cross current or maybe slightly up, maybe slightly, slightly up. upstream and cross, cross current and just kind of mm-hmm. letting the current, let the current do the work for you. You know, yeah. let it, it's a conveyor belt for the fish. You might as well use it that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let and, the thing and tumble use, down into the strike zone. Yeah. And, and so what I was starting to say earlier is I'll use nymphs usually low and clear, or at times I'll use it when we've had um, a lot of rain, because if we've had, I'm not talking like a ton of rain, but if we've had quite a bit to where the water is stained, it's, you know, when you get rain, it knocks bugs off rocks underwater. I mean, stuff's going downstream. Some of my, actually this past summer, me and my youngest son um, fished this one one spot that's easy for me to get him to, and I don't have to worry about, um, we have a ton of water moccasins here. It's one safe place that there's not a lot of water moccasins. Um, anyway, there's a really nice, um, almost like a low head dam. Not, it's not an actual dam. It's just a bunch of boulders got tons of current and it just dumps in this really deep hole we went out and i threw gosh all i mean pretty much every streamer i had in my box and believe it or not the only thing that got eaten that day was throwing a big giant black stone fly uh like a patch rubber legs and i just drift i would throw it right into the head of the current and let it come back to me and uh, I probably caught three, four fish that were 16 to 18 inches. Oh, wow. That's good. <laughs> That's <day>. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it just sort of blew my mind because I literally fished those exact same holes, um, stripping the streamer back to me, stripping the streamer, letting it die and roll over. It, they weren't having it. And for whatever reason, being able to throw that big patch rubber legs out there and just let it drift down and roll in the current, they couldn't resist it. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said, like, uh, I mean, obviously we're all, we all love the top water thing. Oh yeah. Everybody loves that. Everybody loves to swim fly, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the neutral buoyancy, the, the fly that just hangs there and they just got absolutely gets visually T-boned. Yeah. You know, everybody loves that. Everybody loves the top water thing. Uh, there is something to be said for like when you get on a really good, like bottom pattern, 
you know, and you figure out like exactly how they want it drifted, exactly where they're hanging out, you know, you get, and you get dialed into the point where you can differentiate between bottom and fish, you know, that, that kind of getting into that kind of zone. There is something to be said for that. It's enjoyable in its own way. Um, and it's, uh, effective and deadly and it could be it could bring out those big fish and you know a lot of people think big fish big big bait you know or whatever and to a certain extent that can be true but uh, I've pulled plenty of 18 to 20 inch fish out of the water and they've just got an absolute mouthful of invertebrates oh yeah tiny little bug life you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah I mean that's uh and same thing I've experienced that I mean there's and two, I think that um, at least on some of the waters I fish, if they get heavily pressured, you know, I'm not saying everybody out there is throwing a, a, a streamer or topwater bug, but, you know, conventional guys, you know, if you're out there throwing these big, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know conventional. So, so whatever your flutes or what have you, or a big walker plopper fish you know they can definitely get get put down by things like that and you throw something out there natural um they see you know every few days swim by or when there's a heavy rain this biomass gets washed downstream um i think that uh it can make a big difference in having a yeah i think it i think the same thing Mm -hmm. i think it opens up a lot of a lot of opportunities i mean these big fish you know, uh, they've got memories, you know, they see the same type of presentation over and over and over again. You throw something different at them, you know, that that's, I mean, it, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you look at like even these new baits that are developed, like the Ned rig, you know, in the last like five or six years that became like really popular or the whopper Mm -hmm. plopper is another good Mm -hmm. example. You know, the first year or two that you put a whopper plopper or Ned rig on your river systems, they absolutely just got hammered. I mean, they were like, you know, the, I mean, everything was eating them. And I think that that's something that the, that the fly tire, you know, can bring to the table. They can change up and throw something new in the mix, uh, you know, and, and entice those bigger fish, those fish that have seen, you know, a hundred thousand casts in their life. So, um, okay. Uh, one of the other uh, questions I had for you, Brandon was, uh, who are like the people, I guess that kind of, uh, influence you with your fly time. Like who are the people that you look up to the people you want to emulate that kind of thing? Um, I would probably say the number one person would be, uh, I've talked about him a couple of times already, but Dave Whitlock. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I met Dave several years ago at a, at a fly fishing show and, um, I bought some artwork from him and, I don't know if you've ever met him. He's one of the most humble human beings I've ever met. Um, I remember I bought, it's actually right here on the wall. It's a, uh, it's called the Southern gentleman. It's a portrait or a drawing he did of all the different panfish or sunfish. And, uh, so I bought it and, uh, he signs everything. And when he was signing it, I was, you know, we spoke, we were sitting there talking and he asked me, he said, Hey, do you have a picture on your phone of one of these, uh, panfish? And I was like, Oh yeah, I've 
got a ton other than, you know, besides smallmouth, that's sort of my thing, you know, or panfish. So I pulled out my phone and showed him uh, this really pretty red breast I caught. And he stopped what he was doing. He said, can I have your phone for a little bit? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so he took my phone and he said, this is your, you're purchasing this, right? And I said, yeah. And he went back and actually colored the red breast on the drawing, just like the portrait I had. And he, after he was done, he said, uh, he said, I'm glad uh, he, he, I can't remember how he worded it, but you know, people were coming through the line. All they were buying was trout portraits, trout paintings. And he had this, he had me come through and bought something about panfish. And he was like, I'm glad to be able to talk to you and hang out with you. And, you know, I took my picture with him and we stayed in touch and, uh, it's neat. He, I, I've, I've got books that he's written on fly fishing for yeah. bass and, you know, the LL Bean book and, several several different books and uh we've uh we've definitely stayed in touch actually his wife emily uh messaged me this morning uh, he had gotten a birthday gift i'd sent him a couple of weeks ago they've been on the road with shows and uh he he's been really good about if i at one time i thought about going all in on the fly tying making that like hey this is my job um, sure. I remember I talked to Dave on the phone one night for a couple hours and, uh, he just told, I mean, because Dave is actually, he'd have to correct me, but he, his degree, he was a chemical engineer before he became, he says before he became Dave Whitlock that we know, um, <laughs> so he left, you know, basically this engineering world to pursue what he loved. And he's been really insightful, not only, like I said, not only with his patterns, but he's someone that I've been able to call on and he's sort of helped direct me, you know, and he, he's who I look up to when it came to, uh, you know, warm water fly patterns, fly fishing. Um, so definitely Dave is number one. Uh, number two, and it's the person that I've met two or three times has been uh, Blaine, Blaine Chocolate. Um, you know, he's the the game changer guy. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, I met him years and years ago at the first, uh, Dally's up in the Ozarks, their streamer love fest. I was at the very <laughs> first one. Blaine was there. And, uh, I remember he had, I walked into the fly shop the day before the, or the, yeah, it was the day of the, the fly tying <laughs> event be that night. And he had this enormous bucktail game changer sitting on the counter. And I like looked at it. I remember I took a picture on my phone. I didn't know Blaine was even there. He was sitting back behind me. He said, Hey man, just pick it up. He said, I, I don't care if you handle it, do whatever. And I was like, Oh, you're Blaine. <laughs> you know, turn around. I got to talk to him for a little bit. And we actually went outside and cast a rod, uh, my rod, because I'd had a sinking line he hadn't cast. Yeah, it was a new one that had came out, and uh, it was it was neat because I mean, down to earth. You know, we talked about you know the tying and all that kind of stuff, and uh, again, he's been someone that sort of cheered me on, I guess you could say. You know, and, and encouraged me was the main thing as a uh, as I've sort of gone through this. You know, sort of developed my niche as a warm water fly tire fly fisherman. 
Um, yeah, well, those are two pretty good guys to, oh, yeah. to have in your corner. I have a question. Um, was it hard to explain to your wife uh, that you were going to the Streamer Love Fest convention? You ever talk to your wife and you're like, yeah, actually Dave Whitlock messaged me and she's like, oh, great. Yeah. I gotta go upstairs. I gotta go upstairs. You're too loud down here. <laughs> uh, I really gotta think about what I'm gonna write back on this message. The Dave, Dave Whitlock. <laughs> Blaine chocolate, yeah. I, uh, I every once in a while have that with my wife, you know. I'll be like, no, oh yeah, this guy yeah. messaged us or whatever. <laughs> no, but there's you said something just reminded me. So I told you Emily, Dave's wife, she messaged me today and she said, Hey, we're back in town. I got uh because Dave, he's you know, he's just Dave. He writes these, you know, instead of I mean, I can pick up the phone and call him. Um he has my phone number, but he loves to write letters. So I get these letters and I actually posted a picture a, a week or two ago. He sent me this, a letter, but the envelope is something I, I'm going to frame because he drew a small mouth on it. Um, I mean, the detail, even the, I mean, it's everything I was thinking, you know, he trusted the post office to get this here and it's, it's, <laughs> right. you know, so, in, so, before, so before I received his letter, I'd already sent him his birthday gift, which was, um, I, I'm left-handed, so I, you know, I didn't want the, uh, if you ever see anybody write left-handed, we usually smear all the ink or lead. So I was like, I'm going to type yeah. it up. So I type it up when I'm at work uh, one afternoon before I leave, and I hit it to send to the printer, and the printer, something was going on with it. And it would, it, the letter was supposed to be like a page front and back. It ended up printing four pages with three inch font. It had, I mean, it was the <laughs> biggest font I've ever seen in my life. So I was like, what, I need to get this in the mail. So I, so. Uh, Dave's I, not going to like this. <laughs> I went ahead and stuck it in the mail. I immediately text, messaged Emily. I said, hey, when Dave gets his birthday gift, <laughs> Please tell him my printer was screwed up. That's why I didn't want her to think or Dave to think, oh, Brandon thinks I can't read because I'm 88. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to do three-inch font for him to read. So I was like, please tell Dave my printer was screwed up. And actually, I'm, I'm going to call him tomorrow And uh, because I, she messaged me today. She said, yeah, I got the letter. I see what you're talking about now. I was like, yeah, I need to call and just reassure Dave. Like, hey. <laughs> Yeah, then he sends you back this beautiful envelope and well-written, handwritten letter. And then you have a kindergartner write something in size three font. Right. Make sure you have good reception when you make sure you have good reception when you call him, so you're not having to talk real loud. So now he thinks he's deaf and blind. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty great. And then also, what's NASA up to with their printer situation? <laughs> I just I just assumed yeah, you guys had tech. Yeah, exactly. You would think. I, Go well, to SpaceX, I guess. Yeah. If you want tech, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame that on the operator. I'm gonna say that was me and and being in a new lab. <laughs> but but right. yeah, you would think. But uh, 
<laughs> yeah, and again, see, I mean, I had to have my 15-year-old help me get on this podcast. So, I mean, well, to be fair, this this podcast is like the Da Vinci Code. I mean, if you, it, it's almost the coolest thing about getting on this podcast is just fi- finally connecting to it. You, you made it. You know, that's the, <laughs> you made it. You did it. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Brandon, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Is there anything, uh, anything else you want to talk about or put out uh, before we end the show? Um, gosh, not that I can think of. Um, I mean, if anybody has questions, if anybody has questions, just tell them. You know, you have my Instagram. I'm always, I'm, I'm an open book. If guys want information, not fishing spots, but if guys want information on patterns, how to fish, whatever. I mean, I'm always happy to answer questions. I mean, I'm not one to keep secrets. I mean, this is supposed to be, you know, I tell everybody it's supposed to be fun. Um, so I'm glad to help people out. For sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Jeremiah, for coming on uh, and stepping in. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, free the fighter. Free the fighter. All right. See you guys. Bye. Thanks Thanks again, Brandon. Uh